Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Mike and I uh, rehearsed a little bit yesterday. We're going to... uh talk a bit about oil and gas and interest rates and whatnot, and then we're, we're going to move to uh, tech stuff where huh, what, whatever you're interested in is gave more reasonable in terms of valuation. But on oil pricing and gas pricing, um, I think that we are more impacted than would be ideal by the situation in Ukraine. I, I won't call it progress, obviously, not progress. The thing I'm worried about in the short term now, and the reason why I would hold back acquiring any new oil positions or new natural gas positions, is that I think that there is a circumstance where Putin has a celebration. I think it's the Russian equivalent of our BJ Day, and I think it's May 9th. There is a set of circumstances where the Russians feel they've made, or Putin feels he's made enough progress in eastern Ukraine and proposes a ceasefire, kind of without checking in with the Ukrainians, just, you know, during this event, in, which will be held in Moscow. And the, the logic will be that Russia hangs on to the eastern provinces or whatever they've been able to achieve. They allow civilians to leave those areas. They give, you know, passage and live by it to the Ukrainian soldiers that are stuck in that steelworks in Mariupol and anyone else. So the Ukrainians are able to pull their soldiers back and you wind up with a kind of a line that will... Uh, basically see most of the eastern part of Ukraine and the Crimea to Russia. Um, the Ukrainian government, led by their very charismatic president, I think might agree to that subject to a referendum where Ukrainian voters would approve prove it. The impact on the oil market would be a gap down, I think, to the extent that something like this looks like it might happen, and we'll see on a day-by-day basis over the next couple of weeks. I wouldn't sell positions in oil-producing companies or gas-producing companies, but for sure there'll be a gap down, because I think what's being discounted by the market now is something that lasts for the rest of this year and into next year. And the Russian oil is moving, but if Russia was producing 10 or 10 and a half million barrels a day before the invasion, I don't think that they're producing more than um, and selling out of storage. I don't think they're producing more than about seven, seven and a half million barrels. So the world had to do without, you know, two and a half million barrels. Now, remember, the Russians don't sell a heck of a lot more product to Europe than they do crude. And so we're talking all kinds of products 
and especially distillate, which has got very short distillate, which is happens to be what uh, Star Group uses for heating oil deliveries, but distillate turns into jet fuel, distillate turns into diesel, has been very short. It was short last summer, way before the invasion. But I think if I was going to add to a position, I, I think I would wait until the middle of May and make sure this isn't something that Putin does. As far as gas, LNG into Europe was trading at $30 in the summer. Wind was disappointing. The Russians were clearly slowing down, filling storage in Europe, trying to bring pressure to bear to get the second Nord Stream pipe approved by the German government. Now, until yesterday, when Russia said, or Gazprom said, they're cutting off Poland and Bulgaria because they hadn't agreed to pay for gas deliveries, which payments take, take place once a month. They weren't willing to make the payments in rubles. LNG went up a lot in, in Europe yesterday. But because spring comes and because you don't need as much gas once winter's over, LNG prices have got down into the mid-20s before that announcement on the ruble. There's no question that this would cause a lower price for LNG. Would it impact the price of natural gas, Henry Hub, Houston Ship Channel? I think so. I, you know, it, it, it's still plenty of margin to take natural gas, turn it into LNG, and transport it to Europe or Asia, wherever it's going. There's plenty of margin at $25, plenty of margin at $20. There's even plenty of margin at $15, but uh, the natural gas market, which was like 250 you know, in 2020, uh, average for the year, you know, for 22 or looking forward, well, it was much higher in, in 21, 22 looking forward, it's, it's like four and a half to $5. So that, that is liable to pull back a bit. Does, does that mean you sell a natural gas stock that you own now in Antero or a EQT or, or something like that. I don't think so. I mean, it, it volatility is the fact of life. These companies are much stronger. Their debts reduced. They're enjoying the terrific cash flow. But on a new natural gas position, I would definitely wait, make sure that <clears throat> Russia doesn't, in effect, have kind of a unilateral ceasefire, I guess they'd call it, they announced. In terms of interest rates, we talked the prior Wednesday. I don't understand. No logic to be having a 10-year bond, our sovereign bond, be less than the inflation rate plus one or two points of interest return over and above the inflation rate. I don't understand why our markets don't work that way. I think that as the Fed goes into drawdown, which they announced in their minutes, $95 billion a month, one-third mortgage bonds, two-thirds uh, treasury bonds, it may happen. It, 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 it has gone up. There's no question. And that certainly has had some kind of an impact on equity valuation, as it should. What happens from here, you know, it's kind of flirting with 3%, 280, 290, 70, kind of flirting with 3%. What happens here is going to be very important. If you always wanted to own NVIDIA, you've always wanted to own Microsoft, you've always wanted to own Salesforce, you always wanted to own uh, uh, Snowflake, you 
or you always wanted to own Taiwan Semiconductor, ASML, or some of the things we're going to talk about later, I would definitely wait because the Fed is going to go up 50 basis points in terms of the Fed funds rate. They're going to, you know, but I, I don't know whether they do their dot plots this time or not, but I mean, the dot plots are going to say the Fed funds rate or the two-year treasury predicts theoretically where the Fed fund rate is going to be. They're going to get the 2% come what may. I don't think that has that much impact on business decisions, on stock market valuations, but I do think a five or five and a half percent 10 year treasury would. Now, why would there, why wouldn't a five or five and a half or six percent 10 year treasury happen? Inflation might go down. I mean, if there's any chance that we've kind of seen the high of oil prices or oil prices in the fall of 22 aren't that much higher than the oil prices of the fall of 21 uh, and gas prices. I mean, there's one component of inflation. Maybe it's, I don't know, 20% of the consumer price index that, that will be calmed down. Food, hard to predict. Just don't know. Agriculture is hard to predict. Clearly what the Fed is worried about is inflation built in to, to employment costs because um, you don't hear anyone saying the minimum wage ought to be $15. There ought to be legislation on $15. reason no one says that is Amazon, which is hires two or 300,000 people a year, there's a lot of turnover there. They're paying 16 or 17 and signing bonuses. So all of a sudden that is an issue. What the Fed economists and governors have to be worried about is have they somehow built this inflation? In other words, anyone who can increase prices will increase prices because they're trying to cover their employment costs. Has that, you know, have they created something that has a real life of its own? And the answer is don't know. But the, the Fed governors and the president and his you know, his, the people around it, the economic staff around it got in a lot of trouble last summer and fall saying they thought it was transitory. Given the possibility that oil prices, gas prices might flatten out, who knows about agricultural stuff? Maybe the, the way to handle costs increases, employment costs increases, because this is going to get into our discussion of tech stuff is to do with fewer people and try to use software and whatever else or just be more efficient to get the same work done with fewer people so that you don't have to increase prices to maintain or improve your profit margin. Maybe. Now, there are a lot of maybes here, but those maybes might translate into a 3 or 4% inflation rate by the end of the year rather than a 7 or 8%, in which case, Maybe the 10 year bond at 3% or three and a quarter, you know, something up from where it is now, despite the Fed balance sheet coming down 95 billion a month. Maybe, maybe that is what we'll see. So, you know, that, that may turn out to be very optimistic, but it, you know, it's already April. So the time to make predictions is January. And I think Michael and I tried to make some predictions. Here we are late April. I have a little more optimistic view on how the capital markets may roll out this year. The other thing is that 
it's hard to imagine U.S. Treasury bonds at 5%. Yeah, when the Japanese yen bonds are under 50 basis points, where the German bond paying your dollars are 1%. I mean, at, at some point, the, these things have to be closer to each other. And the Japanese are determined to keep low interest rates. The yen is very weak. The Germans are, I mean, the Europeans are determined to keep low interest rates. And maybe the people who say, the 10-year bond won't get beyond 3% or 3.25%. Maybe, now, of course, they have a case, but maybe maybe it's a little more likely rather than less likely that that's the way it'll work out. One other thing that I think is temporary, so I, I wouldn't mention in terms of oil pricing or gas pricing or LNG pricing is, think of it, Shanghai, 25 million, you know, the greater Shanghai area, 25 million people on lockdown, which means people can't leave the residences. I mean, the Chinese, I guess, should have made a deal with Pfizer, made a deal with Moderna, and used messenger RNA and, and vaccinate people, but they didn't. And they have the theory that they can, you know, cause the spread of COVID to not exist by doing all this testing and and by having lockdowns. I just think I just think they'll figure this out. I mean, I can't imagine that we'll be sitting here in July and August and September with Shanghai on lockdown or Beijing on lockdown. I, I just can't imagine that's the way it's going to happen. That's what it looks like now. Now, that that hurts oil demand. That hurts, you know, it creates more supply chain, more inflation and whatnot. I just kind of think they'll figure out some way, or maybe they'll be successful with their lockdowns. As a lead-in to the tech stuff, because I've taken more than my half of the 30 minutes, so as a lead-in to the tech stuff, a business... Think Amazon, think, think uh, Fastenal, another company I own. You can use the, the software and, and ability to store things in the cloud and utilize that all that information you store fairly cheap in the cloud to do more with your workers. I think if there's a, a focus that we should have in terms of trying to buy something that that, you know, has a chance to double in five years, which is 15% return. It ought to be by focusing not just on technology, but on the parts of technology that enable uh, uh, you to do that. And having taken having taken up too much of the half hour already, I'm going to turn to Mike and see if he has anything to add on my commentary on interest rates and whatnot, and then also lead into some commentary on whether you wait and get your Salesforce and Snowflake and Microsoft cheaper or not. But over to you, Mike. Okay, so interest rates. I'll just add my two cents on top of that because I, I think we did our predictions for this year. I said 10-year be 3 to 4% or something like that at the end of the year. And that probably, I think that probably still holds except a lot of people that have incentives to keep our government debt costs relatively low. So there's a lot of things that can balance the supply and demand of U.S. Treasuries, and part of that includes different support sorts of regulation. Um, so kind of keeping an eye on what's happening in crypto with dollar-based stable coins when it comes to that that department. You know, all that is to say there's a lot of incentive to keep it lower, not higher. When it comes to what to think about as far as where we are in the market. And the great thing is we finally have buying opportunity. The last over a year, 
year and a half, really well, all the way back to March 2020, things started to get expensive. And in spite of a lot of uncertainty, now we're coming out of COVID and some uncertainty is starting to be stripped away. But we're, we're seeing that the, la- the economy of the last couple of years is really based on the consumer. And if we're going to have continued growth in the economy, it's going to come from, from businesses. That, that point of what Hunt was saying is it's in this environment, you're more resilient, especially when it comes to inflation. Business is one whose customers are other businesses. If you can sell a product that makes other businesses more efficient, run better, be more profitable, all of those things, that's going to be something that's going to be in demand in spite of inflation. And the biggest bellwether to that is the earnings today. We had earnings from Microsoft and from Google, and we saw two different stories. We saw Microsoft with a great quarter and giving very strong guidance. It's really the bellwether for B2B enterprise software. I'll dig into that in a second. But then you also have Google, which had relatively weak earnings. And in spite of performing very well, um, their advertising model seems to work well. But it was a little weaker than expected. Guidance was good expected. So, what you see there, I'm going to hypothesize that response advertising and some of the different advertising products that Google offers, people are using them maybe a little bit less. And that tells you a couple of things. We we do know that people have built up certain level of inventories, and maybe. There's uncertainty as to whether or not they'll be able to restock those inventories based on all the things that are happening in China right now with the lockdowns. There's also commentary on what's happened with Google. Part of their miss was due to Europe and everything that's there has caused companies to pull back ad spending. So from the ad spending perspective, I think it'll be interesting because I think the tell on if people have inventory is going to be Facebook's earnings because... With Facebook, you typically are using direct response advertising. And if you have access to inventory, you spend those marketing dollars to push it through. So I think that'll be a good indicator of supply chain. But back to Microsoft, that was really the important thing for for us because we're focused mainly on B2B is that it seems like things are still very strong. So would you want to buy something today? I think the, the adage is don't try to catch a fall knife, but you can always do the, uh, take a small position to, to get started and then maybe try to fill it out over the course of the rest of the year. One of the things I saw some of the rest of you may have seen in Barron's was a caution on NVIDIA because the cards that they turn out were starting to be more available. And the thinking was that they were more available because cryptocurrency mining, especially Ethereum, was not consuming or not bidding up the card so that other people couldn't get hold of them. So I'm sure we've got some NVIDIA. In addition to Mike and me through Mike's partnership, I'm sure we have some other NVIDIA stockholders on the phone. So if you could cover off on that, I think that'd be good, Mike. Absolutely. So this is kind of interesting because it's been a topic I've been tracking for a little while here. And to give a little historical context, if you remember the first real crypto bubble, I guess it was the end of 2017 going into 18 or maybe it was 18 into 19. Either way, um, 
crypto prices got really high and then they fell off a cliff. And when they fell off a cliff, um, NVIDIA, AMD sold off with them. And part of that was because those companies didn't have a very good view into their um, into their sales channels to understand where their product was going. They were selling cards as they do um, gaming cards to distributors like Best Buy or uh, Newegg or all the other the companies that sell these. Really, actually, they sell typically they sell to other companies that package their own graphics cards for the most part. So their visibility in the supply chain wasn't as good as they thought it was. And most people that were buying these cards were buying them kind of dual purpose. They were using it for mining, but also for gaming. So what we have with Ethereum is potentially that same situation because Ethereum is the most profitable coin to mine by about a factor of two based on my best guesses, maybe even better than that. And there are plans to switch the Ethereum network over to a proof of stake model rather than a proof of work model. Um, and I won't go up into too much detail on that, but the concept is that it will make transaction costs in Ethereum cheaper and it will take the power of the network away from the tools that run graphics, really GPUs for mining and put them in the hands of slightly larger entities that run servers and stake their own capital. So it's actually centralizing what is supposed to be centralized network, which, you know, we, we could spend some time talking about that as well. But the, the point is that it may have some effect on, on NVIDIA. And it's something, like I said, we've been watching for a while. I think that the telling thing, well, I, I think what, what NVIDIA is planning to do is they've sort of been slow to launch new cards over the course of the last couple of years. I think what they're probably going to do is launch substantially better cards in and around when this happens. People have already stopped buying new cards because of this Ethereum switch. You wouldn't want to invest $2,000 in a new graphics card if it's going to take you 12 months for the payback if you think Ethereum 2 is going to come back inside of 12 months. So I, I think that I, I think time will tell, but I think that what will happen is there may be an oversupply of used cards on the market, but I believe NVIDIA will probably launch some cards that are significantly better. So the, the value in going to a, a cheaper used card is probably not going to be there. So earnings slowdown may be, but I, you know, I don't have that much visibility. And I think that and actually this ties to Taiwan's semiconductors earnings the other day. I think, NVIDIA anticipates a lot more data set gaming growth, um, growth for the back half of this year. So part of that has somewhat been baked into their perspective as well. And if you look at top semiconductor, over half of their, or I'm sorry, the largest portion of their revenue is being derived from data center, which I thought was an interesting change because mobile had previously dominated that piece. Yeah. The way I would look at that is the the business center, I think, are for for the most part, you know, the Amazon Web Services, the Azure, you know, the comparable offerings by Google and Oracle and IBM. And that growth 
of server farm to maintain, you know, be able to provide the service that businesses and individuals are, are looking for is going to continue, I think, in any set of circumstances. We've run out of time since Wednesday, but to me, the interesting thing is the two companies owner, Microsoft and Amazon, we haven't seen the Amazon earnings yet. And Amazon has a whole bunch of other stuff tied to Amazon Web Services. But clearly, in terms of if, if you're only going to own 10 stocks, probably going to want to make Amazon or Microsoft or both. The other thing, I think, that with all this information being stored and trying to get more done with fewer people, I think the ability of people like Salesforce, Snowflake, and I don't know the company as well, but Michael has mentioned HubSpot. You know, what is cloud? Cloud is using other people's servers. It's much less expensive to store more information. But then you still you have to utilize the information. So that the companies that can provide that service are obviously in a good position. The problem that I continue to have with Salesforce and Microsoft, and I, I excuse me, Salesforce and Snowflake, is it just seems like if you're providing that service to someone, that some part of your sales cost and R&D cost may be continuing. I, I continue to look, maybe I'm just being way too conservative and mixed up, but I continue to look for free cash flow from that business so that their revenues and other operating costs, which are minimal, open up a significant gap between the uh, sales cost and R&D cost. But that's something we will focus on next week and in the meantime, everyone stay safe and stay healthy. We have a little chill in the air here, so we can't compare our weather to San Diego. But hopefully by next Wednesday, we'll have less of a temperature gap with San Diego. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.